Welcome once again to V'ger, please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. My name is Peter. And we are uh, ready to talk about the last of the Frakes, Peter. The last of the Frakes. I did not realize that Jonathan Frakes even directed this until five minutes ago when I was reading through the uh, cast notes on this. I noticed it at the beginning of the episode because... His name calls out to me as the leader of his cult. There it was, our Lord and Savior, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, What are we watching this time, Peter? Season 2, Episode 13, Prototype. Where in the end of uh, Space Muppet Babies, I had to say I felt conflicted because I didn't know if what I watched was good or if I was just predisposed because I knew it was Jonathan Frakes directing it, as I did not find out that Frakes was involved in all of this until we were about to record. Um, I've got some pretty clean opinions, non, non-biased. I feel like our hot streak came to an end, but it wasn't like a screeching, terrible halt. It was more of a good idea, bad execution in parts. Some good content, for sure, um, but just did not come together. And there was just a couple things that just were so fucking head-shakingly stupid that kind of took away from the rest of it. I'm going to call it a a ho-hum and as only Voyager can produce. I agree with how you put that. The beginning of the episode, I think, belayed the Frake's hand because it's probably the coolest and most inventive part. The entire pre-credits teaser is actually done as a POV shot. It reminded me of RoboCop. Absolutely. All I was waiting for them to do was say something about baby food. Our OCP. It's done as a POV of something floating in space. We get a a POV uh, transporter shot, which was really cool. Yeah. We get Balana, Janeway, and Tuvok analyzing whatever got beamed aboard. Tuvok wants it to shut down before Torres analyzes it. Janeway eventually allows... Torres to analyze it while still active and try and keep it active. We need to come up with a clever nickname or something for the reoccurring theme in Voyager of absolutely no fucking personal space. This entire front, and I get it's the POV thing and you're trying to frame people or whatever, but there are so many times in this episode, people are just up each other's ass shamelessly, like just cheeks sewn to cheeks. It's out of control. I didn't mind it as much because it was clearly because of the POV shot and they were all in close looking at the same thing. But there are other more blatant examples when like there's just a big room and there's no reason to be doing this. (laughs) Also, if you're just beaming shit out of space, like I don't know if being three inches away from it with your own face is the best policy. (laughs) I think you're kind of inviting some disaster. Things don't go as bad as they could have, but... I don't know. Beaming space junk onto Voyager. I don't know if I want to go and and rub my nose on it the way that these guys are just digging in there. It could be radioactive. This space junk could give you space cancer for all you fucking know. That space truck could have been leaking, you know, carbon monoxide and, and, and kill you. It's the silent killer, man. They run the rest of this POV shot out. It goes to, to engineering because, of course, if they have something dangerous and new, they want to analyze it next to the warp core. We've established right. that next to it this thing could reach off the fucking table and punch a hole in the warp core it is mind-boggling there's no can we name this episode uh 
Tuvok is right all over the place. <laughs> sure. Uh, the the POV shot ends with them jumping it essentially with their with their space jumper cables and repowering it for a while. P, the, whatever we're watching this shot through focuses in essentially on security camera footage of itself because Voyager has security cameras only when it's convenient. Yeah. I've ignited a flame. <laughs> Come on, Frakes. God damn it. This, I mean, all of this was in service of some inventive camera work, which is why I liked it. Like, that was an interesting opening. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. it showed that it was Frakes because he did inventive camera work. He always does. Yeah. And uh, oh, the surprise at the end is what they've beamed aboard is a robot man. But not any robot man, Peter. This This episode's cardinal sin is obvious from the start. Because what did this robot man look like to you? A fucking mannequin. It it looked like a fourth grader science project of what a piece of shit robot for a low budget movie should look like. It looked like to me somebody who got a gimp mask from a fetish store that had a lot of sci-fi stuff in it. You know, that's where my mind went. But like a like a twenty five dollar one though, like not a good one. Yeah, like something that they grabbed out of the fucking bargain bin, and like someone had actually pressed the mask. Like it's a, the reason why it's in their last is because someone had dented the fucking corner of the the rigid plastic. These masks look like the shittiest C three PO mask possible because there's like this big crappy bolt seam where the pieces come together. It is unforgivable. As great as Space Muppet Baby looked, as great as Space Muppet Baby's raptor adult version looked, what the fuck? It was at the cost of having excellent puppets and and prosthetics in uh, whatever that episode was. Is They had $30 to make a fucking space robot. Part tuition had that adult space raptor for one shot, right? 20 seconds at the most. And they couldn't put in more effort to making a better robot suit that we basically see on screen for the entire run of this episode. It's the dumbest, hokiest, plastic bullshit ever. If I was anyone related to the product, if I had any juice at all, and they brought this thing into my office and said, all right, we're going to start shooting this tomorrow, and here is the this thing that's going to occupy copious amounts of screen time. I would look at him and I would say, scrap this whole fucking episode, and we will do a clip show like Next Gen. <laughs> Chakotay is going to get sick, and we're going to just recap the first fucking season, and it's going to be terrible. But I cannot, in good conscience, film a fucking episode with something this bad. I, you might as well have just taken a human and just wrapped their fucking face in saran wrap or tinfoil <laughs> and put them on there because these prosthetics, I can't even call them prosthetics, man. They're like shit Halloween decorations that have been left out in the yard for fucking three years and someone finally was hitting it with the weed whacker and found that stuff and brought it inside to recycle it. It is just terrible. So let's let's jump back to the beginning of the episode basically what's going on is voyagers you know heading home they 
find something in their way that uh, is not a Ford truck. They beam it into the fucking one of the nerve centers. You got the bridge, you got engineering. They, they beam it in there. Um, and uh, against all common sense, they start working on the space robot. And it's a real fucking head scratcher. I'm going to pull us into the AI debate and all that other stuff as we start talking about this. But, you know, Tuvok lays it all out on the, the fucking table. You know, this thing is dangerous. We don't know what it is. We're in Star Trek. Next generation already happened. It's a done deal. Okay. The fable of lore is out there. When you're flying through space and you find a fucking robot set adrift, fucked up and damaged, maybe it's out there for a reason. Maybe it's a homicidal killer and the other crew of a ship was barely able to blow it out of the fucking space airlock like uh, Jason Voorhees and Jason X. <laughs> or, you know... <laughs> Lore, the psychotic soon type android that almost brought the Federation to its knees for all of his crystalline entity dealing. I love Lore, by the way. When I was growing up, Lore was like my favorite fucking Star Trek character. But, you know, evil robots end up adrift in space. Reports got filed on it. You know that the fucking Packleds picked this motherfucker up and he like subjugated them and then hooked up with the Borg after killing his. No good is going to come out of picking up space trash robot, man. And certainly no good when you bring him into your goddamn nerve center unchecked. There's not even security detail on this guy. But anyways, so they find this thing. And and I get that there's kind of like, okay, maybe we can get some new sweet technology out of it. Let's bring it in and take a look at it. But Torres just takes this crazy left turn where she starts obsessing over this thing. And like Torres, as an engineer, has always felt like a a grease monkey, roll your sleeves up and, you know, work on the carburetor, old school person. And not like, by the way, I have this secret obsession with cybernetics that we never found out until now like i could get kim getting real crazy right like ocd compulsive about this thing or like i don't even maybe paris because he thinks that maybe it, you know it could be a fuck bot let me <laughs> and that <laughs> could... to, he, he comes down to engineering and starts like you know judging you know it's compatibility with different orifices that he's programmed you know, like, where can we go with this? Yeah, like, what can we put in here? You know, what if they just power this thing up and maybe the reason it looks so crappy, like someone just pulled it out of a fucking uh, old Sears that was abandoned back in the 60s. Is like, And that's just all it is. It's just a mannequin that, like, you turn it on and, like, poses this way. And then after 40 seconds, it rotates so you see the, the garments it's wearing from a different thing. Or what if it's just a really crappy, like, hand job bot or a butt sex bot? Like, I was about to say butt sex bot. How dare you take that from me? How, I told I was, you, man, if you had hot takes, you got to outline them in the beginning of the episode because I'm I'm going to shoot off the hip here, too. You don't know what the fuck this thing is. For for all you know, it's a it's it could be anything at the worst end of the spectrum, a murder bot, or it could just be a, a slightly animated clothes modeling thing. And Bellana just gets fucking crazy obsessive about it to expedite our discussion of this episode because recording this relatively very late and later than we normally do in the evening because we said record half an hour of hot takes on something entirely unrelated to voyager i want to discuss in brief the overall theme of the episode i guess there's two one that is good one that is the least subtle most obvious and i think biggest detriment to the episode the one that's good is the idea of not all AI is good. Some AI is bad because of how it gets programmed. And this episode, when it's effective, 
plays on your your sympathy card from mm-hmm. from from data and from the doctor that this is a friendly AI or that AI deserve our peoples too and all of that. And this episode abuses that in a way that makes that part of the episode effective. You think this is going to be, you know, a friendly robot man. It turns out that he kind of is a friendly robot man compared to his, you know, sociopathic robot friends. That doesn't make him good. It just makes him less worse than them. And they're all programmed with a sort of subtle limitation in their ability to not be assholes. And it's effectively done. The part of the episode that I think you're hitting on as being particularly shitty and nonsensical in terms of Balana is that this episode takes a bat. It, it, it then puts a few nails in it and then beats you until you die with the, this is about motherhood. Do you get it? Do you get that this is about motherhood? This is like my wife is sitting next to me while we watch this. Like, oh my God, how many times are they going to go back to this well about how excited she is to create life? God damn. Could they make it any more obvious? They're doing like uh, the operating table thing and like Balana's asking for tools. She's like, um, tricorder, hydro spanner, ovaries, estrogen. I get it. We all get it. It's back to our ongoing discussion about the effective use of the feminine voice. When this show gets it, it gets it really well. When we were talking about maneuvers and the fact that Bolana and Janeway had a conversation about Chakotay's motivations and emotions that two male characters never could have had, but worked perfectly for them and was really helped that episode and helped you understand all three of those characters better. That's effective. This is another one of those failed, let's make this episode about something that female viewers can identify with, but instead of doing it in a a way that's effective, it does it in a way that's ham-handed and forced, and by the end of it, when they're having their fucking rap conversation, is just as subtle as a fucking atom bomb to your genitals. It's terrible. Yep. So they get this robot... And uh, apparently, again, nobody's ever heard about lore and, you know, the dangers of fucking robots and Frakes being Riker, like, you know, goddamn, like, do something, some sort of callback. It's cool they mentioned Data a little bit, but like, you you know better than to pick up these space robots. So they get it. And all right, they jumpstart it with, uh, I don't know, some power conduit, but it's not holding up. They need to get this thing self-sufficient. And uh, Bellana's racking her brain on how to do it. And everybody's like, oh, take a nap. And she's like, no, I can't. I'm obsessed. There's some shit with Neelix. There was a good camera shot after that Neelix scene where they're shooting it from from the top, from like the top of the warp core. And yeah, where's everybody else in engineering? It's a ghost town. (laughs) It's the late shift. You know, there's a skeleton crew. Everyone's sleeping. You know, and you get the idea that she's racking her brain about how to do this and that she's kind of isolated in doing it. They do a good job of framing that through a few different things, but we do learn that salt's the most common spice in the galaxy. Yeah. That's interesting. She, she wakes the doctor up after having a revelation while in bed and starts talking about it in medical terms that it's plasma is contaminated, which is basically that it's contaminated blood, that it needs a transfusion and she centers on this this conclusion with warp plasma and basically changing how her how the uh, the robots I'm going to call them gimpy 
how Gimpy's mm-hmm. power matrix will accept that plasma. So the idea here is basically to provide a plasma transfusion while at the same time rewiring its power core so it can accept the transfusion. So it's like, oh, I don't have compatible blood, so I'm going to rewire your circulatory system so it can take it, which, you know, because its technology can work. I did like that they brought Janeway in to help because she's a scientist. There's been a few times now where you've had these Balana doctor collaborations, and every time there's like, well, I don't know why you're here. It's like, let's 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 cut to the meat and potatoes. The, again, the doctor is grossly underutilized. You got someone who can learn anything in instant, and he can, unlike you know the ship's computer, he's got critical thinking and he can reason. Like, what a resource to draw on for anywhere. You you could really jam the doctor into any scene for any dilemma anywhere in Voyager, short of like. And even the emotional stuff, I mean, it's a pretty big resource to draw on. And I think it's cool that they're using him more and more consulting in other departments because he is such an amazing thing. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, the show has been very good, I think, consistently, at especially with Bolana. They've got that Nancy Drew <laughs> Venture Brothers, you know, chemistry where they feed off of each other very well. And I'm glad to see her continuing to participate in science experiments alongside uh, Balana and Kim instead of just as a, a snappy supervisor. Right. No, I, I agree with you that that's well served in the story. And, you know, they uh, they eventually wake Gimpy up. It works. The, the whole operation is functional. And uh, Gimpy immediately wakes up and thanks Balana for restarting him. But in the very next scene, while Balana is talking more with Gimpy, um, Gimpy gives off some immediate, like, potential problematic dialogue about you know not understanding how he got fixed and then calling Balana a builder because she was capable of fixing him and what gets laid out is that these these robot people whoever they are are not able to fix their own power systems Balana's ingenuity and being able to repair him is not something that they have been able to replicate and this they they could use Bolana's help in trying to further the existence of their race. All kinds of red flags immediately. He starts talking and laying down his sob story, and maybe I was already predisposed to thinking of this because of all the stuff with lore. But man, it's like pack led booby trap, smart and Samaritan snare all over again. Like, oh, you are smart. You can make us go. You know. You know, we, we are stuck. Hey, we got a problem and you might be able to fix it and maybe you could help us fix it. Like it's it was too close for comfort, uh, retreading old material. But, you know, she says, yeah, well, I could theoretically build more of these, but I got to get an OK from my boss. And she goes into what I felt was until the final scene, probably the worst scene. And it is approaching Janeway on, hey, can I uh, show this dude? Or can I help this dude repopulate a species? And Janeway lays down a prime directive no-no speech, which, again, I'm immediately just taken out of the scene because she is not a credible authority on fucking, you know, talking about derailing the Delta Quadrant and ethics because of her shit with Caretaker. Man. That is exactly what I paused the episode to tell Stevie. The dialogue they give her in that scene is very effective. It's very good. It's the only problem is I couldn't get out of my head. This is the same woman that basically broke every single, you know, 
precept that she is now espousing that set the, the up the show to begin with. Like the original sin of Voyager is Janeway breaking the prime directive for the most emotional spur of the moment, stupid reasons. The fact that nobody ever throws that back in her face when she lectures like this is infuriating to me. She's never called to account by the people that she has stranded in the Delta Quadrant for breaking the prime directive when prime directive arguments come up. And Bellana gives her a lot of pushback. I mean, that'd be the perfect time for her not, not, you know, aggressively just be like, Hey, look, you know, you did this thing. I thought I forgave Janeway during one of these episodes. Like I, I thought that something happened with the prime director. I said, all right, you know, I, I moved past. It. I haven't. All these fucking feelings just came right back. Like, shut the fuck up. You got no authority, moral high ground or anything to say jack shit about any of this. I thought this would have been a real good time for Balana and uh, Chakotay to further their confidant relationship and her to, you know, maybe try and pitch this to Chakotay so they could double team Janeway and Chakotay to shut her down and say no fucking way. Like, you know, this is uh, this is a big no, no. And I think Chakotay could speak from a better uh, moral high ground on the prime directive than Janeway ever would be able to. Even right off the bat, as soon as like uh, Bellana starts talking to this robot, I'm like, if this robot is part of a pre-warp society, like they could have, you know, good automatons or whatever. But like, if it's pre-warp, she sh- like, this thing should be in quarantine and, and no contamination or, you know, transmission of information should be taking at place uh, at all here. There's a lot of reasons why Janeway is right in that scene. I think that her dialogue was well delivered and well written, which is yeah. comforting. Um, she gave a very authoritative and structured, fantastic reasons why this is a bad idea. It's, it's always just tough to take that argument from her. Let me jump on your wagon here and uh, and sharing in frustrations with the Janeway character specifically because of the writer's room. And I think this is a perfect showcase of you can have good dialogue. You can have a great performance, I think, out of uh, Kate Mulgrew here. You know, like you said, she does this thing perfectly. And it's it's a really conveys like I agree with everything you're saying. But Prime Directive is absolutely right here and we can't afford. But, you know, again, previous Bad, bad Janeway writing from the writer's room has just fucked the character permanently. I think if you recall, this may be the very first discussion we ever had about Voyager, that Janeway is a character that is unfortunately defined by the bad writing she has that overshadows the good. This is a perfect yep. example of what I meant by that. Yep. To kind of fast forward a bit through some of the more predictable elements, the Gimpy and his people are bad robots, as we have have mentioned. Hold hold on, I have something. I have something for us. I'm sure I'm sure you're shocked. I'm sure everyone as is shocked. As soon as she grabs her arm, like as soon as this thing turns on it, like snatch grabs her arms. Good robots never just grab people as like the default reaction. It was so blatant from the get-go that <laughs> this piece of shit robot Maybe that's it. Maybe bad robots are okay to be ugly, but the good robots have to look good. I don't know. I um, I I am bagging on the fact that it's was so obviously a bad robot a little bit. I will give the show a, a degree of credit for at the beginning really establishing like rapport between 
uh, Gimpy and Bellana, and that they can for you know continue that in a weird way later on. Mm-hmm. Frakes through the direction, tries to kind of give you an insight to why they have to be careful with this AI stuff. Because, you know, there are some AIs that might not be like mustache twirling supervillains, but also aren't able to turn into something useful. Let's talk about what these guys are exactly, because we say that they're AI. And I don't know if I want to call them full AI. They're they're self-aware. They're trying to fix their procreation. So here's their story, right? Uh, They were created by a race that uh, died. You know, the organic components died during a war and they're just kind of a remnant and they're for one reason or another, they can't replicate their own power cores. Each they, there is no hive collective. Each one has a designation. Each is an individual unto themselves with a different disposition. It's almost like um, clone wars, techno union droids, right? right. Uh, in phantom menace, they blow up the controller ship and they're like, all right, well, each one's going to be their own dude. They get quirky and they talk and you know, there's no instant communication on radios. You know, they, it feels sloppy. It feels like they are just hypnotized human beings wearing bad costumes because they'll have, I think they've got way too much emotion. They've got way too much personality. And you're like, okay, I'm feeling that this is an Android. And they're like, eh, robot moment. And it's, it's jarring. And it comes off as real fifties campy bad. It seems like an, almost like a bad episode of the twilight zone. You know, in that regard, the campiness of it, like it's not fun campy. It's kind of stupid campy. It would have been cool campy, you know, in the Twilight Zone when people didn't know any better. And I get that, you know, we're talking about shit from the 90s. But, you know, I I feel that there's especially with the complexity of the doctor and all the shit with data, like you could have handled these guys better somehow. But they're not they're not evil for the sake of being. They are a limited kind of automaton. That I mean, he gives dialogue about how long he's been activated, and Gimby, 150 years. Yeah, Gimby's been a, a, up for more than a century, and so it the what they tried to impress upon you, and I think this is the part of the episode that works, is that these guys weren't meant to be have agency, repair themselves, do some of the things they've done, and they've had some capacity to evolve, but they also have limits. And after 150 years, they've become these weird sort of somewhat evolved, but also somewhat arrested in their development sentient but not fully capable beings that probably shouldn't exist and definitely shouldn't exist after they lay out that essentially the robots that served this race killed that race uh when they finally made a peace with their enemy all of the robots that they were all using to rebel uh, to fight each other rebelled against them and terminated all of the biological life forms geth style uh, as a consequence they're really bad robots i would say at its best the robot plight here is shades of vidian it's a tragic turn of events uh you feel for them and they play it well and even up until the very last moments you're kind of like these guys just they just want to live and as Voyager has, you know, shown in the past and whatever, and really all of Star Trek is, you know, morals are fine and dandy until push comes to shove and you are staring down the barrel of oblivion. People are always going to choose to do the most drastic thing to try and save the day. And for them, once uh, Gimpy's people show up, it's grab Balana, B 
beam over to the ship, whip the shit out of Voyager because Voyager starts trying to shoot on them and, and they pummel the fuck out of it, which they don't ever even pose to Belana like, hey, either you help us or we're going to kill Voyager. Like they're clearly OK with just killing Voyager and, and Belana has to jump in and say, fine, you didn't even put the offer on the table, but I'll do it if you let him live. Let me just recap how the rest of the episode goes since the cat's kind of out of the bag at this point. She agrees to help. They're really jerk bosses with her. You know, like, oh, you think you can't do it? Well, you fail. We're just going to kill everybody anyways, which whatever. Yeah, I get it. You're programming. But she starts making some pretty good strides. And uh, right about the time that Voyager is coming up with their plan to get him back, which is routing a hollow emitter through the main deflector dishes, so they can start making phantom ships to try and trick this thing, which has way better weapons, by the way. They admit that Voyager's got better engines, but their technology for um, weapons is way better. A second ship does appear. And uh, right as Bolana has cracked the case on the, the core problem they're dealing with is their power cells have what almost appears to be a intentional design flaw that you can't take a power cell out of one guy and put in another, right? right? These guys are all carbon copies of each other, except there's like a thumbprint on each piece of hardware, which is really tricky and beyond the limit of programming for these guys to, um, to creatively think around. And I thought it was clever. And, and, you know, again, by today's standards, especially in cybersecurity and some of this other stuff, like, it's very clearly not a bug, but a designed intentional feature to, to have some sort of restraint on these things, you know, in the post Terminator world to have some sort of final say over the population on these guys. I, th- I think the only unbelievable part of that is that it took Bolana to the very end of the episode to like realize that. Yeah. It, you would think a, an engineer of her talent and ability and apparent interest in cybernetics would come to the natural conclusion that this quirk for these automatons would seem to preclude their procreation, which was probably the fucking point. It's she's clearly never seen Jurassic Park. She didn't know that all the robots on the ship are female, so they can't breed. Um, Life finds a way, Peter, though. Life finds a way. Oh, yeah. Life did find a way, and it's uh, Maki Spitfire. That does it. That's uh, yeah. That this is just kind of like Jurassic Parky. So right as the you know they create the first you know new generation of these robots prototype, and it sits up in in what is very obviously not emotionally heart pulling in any capacity. It looks up. It says you know prototype zero 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 one awaiting program, and she looks at it and falls in love like John Hammond looking at the raptor coming out of the egg only. Instead of it being excellent animatronics and CG by Stan Winston, it is a uh, little Timmy and his paper plates and fucking silver spray paint looking back up at her. Like literally push, push. <laughs> a, a paper plate Santa Claus with cotton swabs glued as a beard across the bottom of the plate is better special effects than these fucking robot quote unquote robot men. But this other ship swings in and opens fire. It's the exact same thing. Uh, Voyager's like, well, what the hell? And it hails them. Oh, no, they find out there's no life forms on there. And Janeway's like, oh, shit. Did I just like wander in the middle of like uh, of a robot civil war? Which where's Neelix in all of this? Does Neelix not know anything about this fucking tragic story with open warfare robots all over the sector? But these guys get around the horn. 
And uh, unlike the silver piece of garbage robots, these are gold piece of garbage robots to even more drive home the crappy C-3PO-ism of it. <laughs> Neil, like, hey, Neelix oh. was too busy uh, cutting Bolana off on her coffee yeah, uh, to, which, uh, to be able to form them about the robot war. What I will go ahead and give this these robots, they're reasonable. They're like, hey, what's up? Who are you? And she's like, oh, we're Voyager. And they're like, all right, well, uh, we're in the middle of a war here. And they're like, yeah, well, we don't want any of that. We just got our crew. And they're just like, well, you stay there and you're fine. Like, it's nice to see some some reasonable alien shit going on out there that isn't needlessly dragging other people into it. So I, I, I did appreciate that. They fucked the shields up enough that uh, Voyager is able to send out a shuttlecraft to get inside the shields of the main alien flying Death Star thing. I did like Chakotay's line in this, and, and that was one of the cool development things I thought out of it. They haven't touched on the Chakotay Paris mm-hmm. bad blood since Chakotay basically forgave him in uh, Caretaker, right? Yeah, it was a welcome, sudden, rem- you know, return to shitty Chakotay versus Paris. A uh, little, little snippy dialogue all of a sudden, you know, Jesus, that was just only like 26 episodes ago. And not only does it pick up on some some MIA antagonism between Chicote and his fucking stool pigeon former crew member, uh, Tom Paris, but he also throws a good barb in there about what we've been joking about, and it's losing shuttlecraft all over the fucking place. So it was a it was a twofer. It was a it was a welcome return. It was it was a highlight of the episode, which probably tells you overall the the feeling that we had about it. But uh yeah, ultimately, as you're saying, the gold robots show up, they fight the silver robots. It becomes clear that, you know, all of these robots killed all of their masters when they finally made peace. And these robots were then going to be shut down. They saw that as aggression against them and decided to kill every all of the, the solids. Janeway and company use the distraction of them fighting to her advantage, of course, to affect Bolana's escape. but. More importantly, as Bolana starts to understand that she has essentially created an imbalance in this situation and also potentially unleashed a somewhat murderous AI uh, robot people on the galaxy, uh, quickly grabs a knife and Roe v. Wade's her robot baby, gets blasted for her trouble and then beamed out by Tom Paris's uh, slick uh, maneuvers in the shuttle. Um, so, Gold star to Tom for uh, some excellent piloting and not crashing a shuttle in this episode. Yeah, it gets the shuttle back safe and sound. Sorry, Chakotay. You have to be shitty another day. The motherhood stuff is just rife throughout. We haven't touched it again because it fucking sucks. And, you know, the, the decision to kill her robot baby comes with later on just this awful ending scene with, with Jane Wade. So two things I want to talk about. What was the last episode we watched? Uh, the last episode we watched, that was the uh, the New Jack Neelix. New Jack Neelix. So the one previous to that, Seska Burn Queen. Yet again, we've got fucking people commandeering the transporter, beaming off the ship. And here we go again. Tuvok, dude, pull your head out of your ass. I don't know what they need to do on this fucking ship, but it's just anybody who comes on is going to instantly have full run of the transporters. Lock these bitches down. I mean, it seemed like, like he was robot hacking it, so I get it. 
it was not like he had access. He was like fighting the computer to be able to do what he wanted. But he's a robot, so I get it. This robot just running around fucking engineering. Like odds are this thing records. It's got like its robot eidetic memory, like having it in the nerve center of all your fucking fantastic Federation technology. When you just talked about what a big deal transporter is like, you don't know if this robot's got warp. You don't know if this robot's got transporter, like giving it free run of the fucking ship so it can bring all its shit back. Like there's prime directive issues all over this motherfucker. There should have been a one way ticket. This robot's coming on the ship busted. It's staying here forever. It's part of the Voyager crew now. Fucking deal with it. The other thing, when uh, Balana's over there, like she gives an estimate. Oh, it's however long it's going to take for Voyager to fix. That's the window that Balana has to come up with a solution to this um, this designed f- intentional design flaw, right? And it's like what sixty hours or something, like six days. It's yeah, it's a hundred and twenty some hours, so it's at least six days. I want I want to draw a picture here, and you can connect the dots. Robot ship, right? Right. That is staffed by a robot crew right. for only robots. Right. Human Klingon hybrid right. over there for potentially days. You're going to ask where working. the shitter is, right? Yes. Where are the poopers <laughs> going? That's all I can think of, too. Is like, is she going to work someplace to sleep? Where's she going to piss? Like, do you have food? <laughs> like, Jesus, you have water? She's going to die. Yeah. You can have some of this uh, hydraulic fluid and um, uh, I don't know, this cable kind of has a soft texture to the outer, so maybe you can bite through that. Or <laughs> They didn't really think that out well, but let me see what else we got to salvage here. A question. They circle back, the, the robot Gimpy, he circles back a few times and says, basically, you have a some dynamic quality to you that I cannot replicate this, this spark of inspiration that is beyond our programming. And that's why we were not able to finish this ourselves. There's just, there's a something about you that we can never hope to emulate. And she repeats herself and says, Oh, I've shown you the way now. And do you think that they would have let her go ultimately, or that they were going to Samaritan snare her ass and be like, yeah, we're going to blow your ship up anyways, or just tell your ship to fuck off. You're ours now, and you're going to be our slave builder until you die. I think that's the likely answer, based on the fact that these guys were obviously completely sociopathic. They had no emotions, and they didn't give a shit. You know, the one that Balana ran into felt gratitude, specifically because she helped him. But unless, like, they have that personal connection, I guess they don't quite grasp not being a dick. Because... Again, their programming is this awkward limitation, which which I liked, that they they were growing into something more than what they were programmed to be, but were still confined by what they were programmed to do. It's a tough line to walk, and what they you see kind of walks it. It's just that it was in service to a plot that was otherwise middling to shitty, and therefore yeah. it didn't work. I think towards the end, there was a very clear, menacing undertone, again, with her uh, her enthusiasm and her celebratory nature of you know what they had done, and the robot was just kind of real, where it had been emotional inflection before. I, I think they were going to keep her. I think that was going to be a no-win for her, and that she was looking at a, a life of safe, slavery there. Quite uh, possible. I, I just want to throw in, they fit Kess in. At the very <laughs> fucking end of this episode, like it how did? we joked in uh in in what was it Hollow Pursuits, 
how Kim got in like the last scene and they made him put all that fucking armor on for like three three words in a sentence or something. That was Kess this episode. It was. It was, hey, by the way, we haven't had her on in a while. We got to make sure she's serving coffee so that Jennifer Wink gets her fucking paycheck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, was... and that's all she was is like a fucking a waiter. Do you think that now that Torres has been like knee deep, I'm sorry, like neck deep in building these robots, shouldn't she be able to come back to Voyager with some sort of ability to say, hey, look, we could build automatons if we want. I just built one of these. It's not going to be as, you know, complex AI as that other one, but like I can build this fucking robot now. We can have robot crew dudes going into irradiated decks to fix things, hazard teams for repair or whatever else. Because again, your greatest limited commodity on Voyager is your crew. Well, theoretically, I mean, you could pick people up along the way. Again, I think it would have been a cool chance to, not that these fucking costumes are worth reusing, but. Maybe that's the reason why she doesn't. Cause she's like, it's not worth it. I don't want to be surrounded by these guys in these gimp masks. I mean, it's just going to, it's going to give me, it's a weird, it's going to give engineering a weird, weird vibe. We don't need that kind of vibe. So we're not going to do it. I can only make a gimpy, lifeless dinner plate, uh, shitty, uh, knockoffs from the twilight zone robots. So we can't make robots. Can't do it. And Janeway's probably in support of that. Like, no, no, I don't want this around. It's going to just leer at me. And, you know, we don't know what that was programmed for. They could just like lurk into, Harry Kim's quarters at night because Tom Paris proved that's easy and they're butt yep. sex robots. And, you know, and Harry has <laughs> a bad time. It could be. You never know. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. So I, I support not making more dangerous butt sex robots in the Delta Quadrant. The ending, if we cut out all the the coloring book specific, hey, by the way, this is a motherhood episode. They dip out on this robot battle. They don't show you what happens. Like as soon as Voyager clears uh, her off on the Tom Paris shuttle, they dip and these robots are too busy in their basic programming. They can't prioritize, hey, get this person who's going to give us longevity. They go away. You don't know what happens. And I, I already know the answer to this. I'm not even going to ask you if we ever fucking see these guys again. But I think this is another opportunity. These robots not look like complete shit. It's another fucking enemy that Voyager's just made. Like this should be a if- – if silver robots win this fight, they should go back to the remaining silver robots and be like, look, we had longevity. We had the key to our survival and it is on Voyager and we need to hunt this fucking ship down at all costs. Get on next door. Shit talk these dudes as hard as you can. Let's find them. Put an APB out on them. And, uh, you know, you could add another good thing pop up later in the series. But I'm, I'm going to assume we never hear from these guys again. Of course we don't. This is Voyager, my friend. I, I do have one thing I want to say, and maybe we should roll this into uh, the discussion for the the live cast. But so we're going to call this a bottle episode, essentially. Yeah, that's common in Star Trek Voyager for sure. Voyager is a show that has goals baked in. There is a victory condition, and that is get back to the Alpha Quadrant. I think that I would be much more forgiving of these episodes if there was like this Mass Effect war effort, right? Like, hey, we are at we're at fifty percent or whatever, and hey, we encountered uh, these new robot people, and you know we lost some energy, and it set us down to forty five percent. But you know, we got new technology out of it that makes our engines a little bit faster, sensors a little bit better. You got a before. You know, beginning of the episode and end of the episode, like here's where our our effectiveness is. 
and it was a metric that moved between episodes. And you could have bullshit bottle episodes like this that just don't matter in the grand scape of things, but just show that it had some sort of impact one way or another that carries into the next episode. And I would be much more accepting of them and that everything wasn't just, uh, okay, and now we're done. Like, eh, I don't know. I, I, we can talk about it more later. No, I uh, I think you actually will be pleased when you read the description for the next episode. Why don't you give it a read? All right. Next, uh, Alliances. That's going to be Season 2, Episode 14. We got a Kazon pointing one of his uh, pipe gun rifles out of Fallout 4. Janeway tries to make an alliance with a Kazon sect for their own protection, and so they can continue their journey through the Delta Quadrant. Who do you think is going to make a reappearance, Peter? Uh, would it be the Queen of Burns? The Queen of Burns. And some long-term consequences and continuity of choices. All that stuff basically you just said, you're about to get it, son. Well, I'm down for that, man. Count me in. Indeed. All right, folks. I think we can safely say that this hateful voyage is back on track. Sadly. And Jonathan... You know, I'm, you're my god still, my my hairy Greek god. But you uh, you kind of swung and hit a foul tip into the catcher's mitt on this. There was one, no man. pulling this thing out of the fucking trash. But this could have been amazing acting all over the place in in these fucking stupid Halloween costume off the fucking rack costumes. It just it's some. I think someone at Paramount just doesn't like him and wanted to fucking just give him as many turkeys as possible. And this is the one he couldn't fucking salvage. It was the last episode of Star Trek he directed until, well, you know, if you count Discovery. So yeah. interesting note. He he was done with Star Trek for a long time after this. But uh, hey, we always we always got Muppet Baby reptiles and projections to yeah. remember him fondly. So uh, in the end, the moral of the story is uh, don't create a robot. Uh, species you're going to use for war because when you declare peace, they're going to figure out that means they're going back in the closet. They might down, be down with that. Now you're the enemy. So, Frenge rule of acquisition 35. Uh, peace is good for business. It always is. And nostalgia is good for business too, as we found out this week. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, until next time, this is Vija, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And thank you once again to Ian and Sarah for the lovely theme music you're hearing right now. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube, find us anywhere fine podcasting is found, and always you can email us at vigerplease at gmail.com. See you next time.